Welcome, everyone. Whether here for the first or 51st time, whether here in person or listening to this in a future podcast, welcome to Essex Church, home of Kensington Unitarians, where we meet for Sunday worship, as well as for other events during the week. My name's Janine, and as well as being a member of this congregation, I'm also part of the themed ministry team alongside Jane, who's away this week, and our minister, Sarah, who will be back next week. So let's start our time together with some adapted words by Maureen Killeran. Welcome to you, who arrived with a spring in your step, who have energy and enthusiasm to spare. Welcome you, who come in need of healing, who are confused or who have been betrayed. Welcome with your problems and your pain. Welcome to all with your joys and wanderings. Welcome to you with your need to hope or your longing for assurance. Instead of answers, here may you find safety for your questions. Instead of promises, may you find a community in which to search for your truth. May you find people with hands and hearts to walk through your struggles and join together in engaging the challenges and changes of our everyday world. Let us light our chalice, our beacon of our worldwide Unitarian and Unitarian Universalist faith. And this week marks not only the Hindu festival of Shivatri, the great night of Shiva tomorrow, when Hindus will fast and offer prayers to Lord Shiva, but also Tuesday is Shrove Tuesday, when whether Christian or not, many will be cooking and flipping pancakes before Ash Wednesday begins, marking the start of the 40-day period of Lent in the Christian tradition. So our chalice is lit, and may its flame allow us to give thanks for our inclusive faith, that through it we are reminded of the many philosophical and faith paths that we and others tread, which do their own part in spreading light, hope, justice and equality in this much-needed world. So, let us take a moment, maybe looking at the candles, reflecting on the issues that they represent, as we prepare to enter into a time of prayer which has some pauses for reflection. Spirit of life and love, God of our hearts and understanding. Please be with us now as we acknowledge these variables in life experienced by all. These things which people have brought here 
and those held privately within of concerns and celebrations. The small and large blessings in life, in our lives and our wider world for which we feel deep gratitude. May we remember those recent things which we have felt thankful for. and help us to rejoice in our own unique gifts, recalling where and how we have shared our gifts with others. In our hurting and broken world, assist us in finding the ways that enable healing as we also bring to mind the unintentional hurts that we may have been part of. Help us to hold those awarenesses in compassionate self-understanding. May we turn deeper for a moment, deeper within, to that still, small voice inside ourselves, in search of wisdom or answers, or guidance to live in ways even more aligned to our best version of ourselves. And let us recollect those people and places in need of our own loving thoughts and silent prayers as we silently send them now. Spirit of wholeness, which moves through our living, may you guide us in our day to day, that we may lead more compassionate, just and loving lives. So may it be. Amen. Unitarian Universalist Minister, Linda Susan Ulrich has a 
wrote a short reflection which I'm going to share with you now. And it can remind us that feeling really alive in life involves those feelings we can often find challenging. She writes this. Rewind to when I was in elementary school. My family went to see my oldest brother in a ballet recital one evening. I don't remember much about the duet he, re he um, performed, except that it was a beautiful and tragic story. Beloveds torn asunder, perhaps even a death. I was moved to tears. Unfortunately, I didn't know what to do with such vulnerability. So when my parents asked me what was wrong, I told them I had a stomach ache. Much safer than admitting I was sad. Fast forward to my early 20s. For the first time, I went to therapy to try to deal with some past trauma. Week after week, I'd shared stories about my experiences, and week after week, my therapist would ask me, and how did that make you feel? I'd proceed to tell her how I'd come to understand the motivations of the people involved and make some sense of what had happened. At some point, she again asked me, with only the tiniest trace of exasperation, but how did that make you feel? I stopped short. I realised I had no idea. It was as though the entire emotional soundtrack of my life was blank. Fast forward to the beginning of my year-long chaplaincy chaplain residency at an urban hospital. In the first month, we had an overwhelming number of 24-hour on-call assignments. This required staying overnight at the chaplain's room at the hospital, which meant I spent many nights away from my then 18-month-old son. One evening, when I was home, he started wailing, utterly inconsolable. I tried to comfort him, but he didn't want to be touched. So I just sat on the floor with him, told him over and over that I understood why he was so upset, reassured him it was okay to be angry with me and watched my own heart shatter on the ground. Before too long, his crying subsided. I was still a wreck, but he had passed to the other side of his storm. My beliefs call me to respect the wisdom of the body, mind, spirit, and feelings. Emotional tempests aren't always easy to weather. Pain, grief, disappointment, even love. But the flatness of life without such currents is the slow silence of drowning. So Linda Susan Aldrich's words there.
This poem by Irish writer, poet, priest, philosopher, John O'Donoghue is from his book, Benedictus, and indicates that beyond the hurt experienced from others' actions, one may find something of great importance. A copy of these words are on your insert sheet if you want to silently read along. And this poem will be followed by some reflective music. It's called, For Someone Who Did You Wrong. Though its ways to strike in a dumb rhythm, stroke upon stroke, as though the heart were an anvil, the hurt you sent has a mind of its own. Something in you knew exactly how to shape it, to hit the target, slipping into the heart through some wound window, left open since childhood. While it struck outside, it burrowed inside make tunnels through every ground of confidence. For days it would lie still until a thought would start it. Meanwhile, you forgot, went on with things, and never even knew how that perfect shape of hurt still continued to work. Now a new kindness seems to have entered time, and I can see how that hurt has schooled my heart. In compassion, I would otherwise have never learned. Somehow now, I begun to glimpse the unexpected fruit your dark gift has planted, and I thank you for your unknown work.
We have some words now to lead us into a time of shared silence now. After these words by Beth Lefevre, which some of you may have heard before, it speaks of our wholeness no matter what we're feeling and experiencing. After her words, we'll have about three minutes of shared silence, which will be ended by three chimes from our Tibetan bowl. So allow yourself to get comfortable in your chairs, as comfortable as you can. If it helps put your feet on the floor, you can place down anything that you don't want to hold on to, and you can close your eyes or soften your gaze if you'd like to. And I invite you to consider these words or follow your own thoughts. We are whole, even at the broken places, even where it hurts. We are whole, even in the broken places, the places where fear impedes our full engagement with life, where self-doubt corrupts our self-love, where shame makes our faces hot and our souls cold. We are whole, even in those places where perfectionism blunts the joy of full immersion into person, place, activity, where good enough does not reside except in our silent longings, where our gaps must be fast filled with substance, accomplishment, or frenzied activity, lest they gape open and disgust. We are whole, where we would doubt our own goodness richness, fullness and depth, where we would doubt our own significance, our own profoundness. We are whole, even in our fragility, even where we feel fragmented, alone, insubstantial, insignificant. We are whole, even as we are in process, even as we stumble, even as we pick ourselves up again, for we are whole. We are whole.
Some thoughts now on holding grudges. Many of the world's religions, including Christianity, Buddhism, Sikhism, Judaism, Islam, and other spiritual paths, put a strong emphasis on the need to forgive others and that holding on to anger and grudges is morally wrong. But what if that's not the whole story, not the truth for everyone? What if holding on to our grudges, or at least acknowledging them, was good for you in some way? We'll explore this a bit with some ideas as we start this month's ministry theme of forgiveness and redemption. The questions of grudges being good for us was asked by the author of the quote on our order of service, Sophie Hanna. It reads, Everyone's always told you, don't hold grudges because it's bad for you and not very nice. But what if grudges were the psychological equivalent of leafy green vegetables that nourish us and strengthen us? Sophie Hanna is a crime novel writer, an author of self-help book, How to Hold a Grudge, From Resentment to Contentment. What she found when researching the topic was that although there were many books about forgiveness, how to forgive, why we should forgive, there weren't any which held the topic of holding grudges in a positive or even neutral light. So, she wrote one. In her book, she shares the tales of a selection of grudges that she has, how they were formed, and her own methodology of categorising her grudges and drawing something useful from them. In her own way, counteracting the grudges are bad message. Holding a grudge is something many of us here have done at some point in our lives. But the idea of there being able to take something useful from a grudge you're holding, that might be a new thing. When you think of someone holding a grudge, I wonder what kind of images or memories come to mind. Maybe someone being moody or grouchy, Someone who's always out for revenge. Someone who's very unhappy and bitterly never seeing or celebrating the good in life. And this is what happens when grudges are held onto in a way which hinders us. If we only allow ourselves to get stuck in that anger and resentment, we can't grow. But looking up the word grudge itself reveals something more. Grudge comes from the Middle English word grudge, which meant to complain or grumble, which can be a really good thing. Individuals or groups of people grumbling and complaining about a wrong in society can bring about real and lasting change especially if that group has been repeatedly mistreated. When I think of those involved in the civil rights movement in the United States, the suffragette movement here in the late 1800s, early 1900s, 
and different LGBTQ plus groups more recently? Have they not held a grudge against the institutions and societal constructs they found themselves in and constantly followed advice to always forgive when they were devalued, discriminated against, having their rights restricted or not recognised? They may not have used their anger and grudge-like feelings to insist on the changes that they did. And on a more individual level, people can find themselves holding a grudge about many things, including being excluded and left out, someone not having met their expectations. Grudges can be formed due to misunderstandings or as a result of an insensitive comment made. There may be other reasons which come to mind for you, which you could add to this list. There are many things which give rise to the desire to grumble and to complain. But that's not easy to turn into action if you deny to yourself that you have grudgeful feelings due to having other feelings of guilt and shame because you've been told that you shouldn't feel that way, that you should rise above it, or that holding a grudge and feeling a, res a resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Or that you have a religious duty to always forgive and not feel ill towards others. And so many people go through life unaware of their anger, hurt, disappointment and grudges. But they're there. We might all know someone, whether friends or family, who say that they've forgiven someone for something. But time and time again, they bring it up, recounting the story with a sense of disbelief and not understanding how someone could have done that thing, whatever that thing was. They think they're forgiven because that's what they're supposed to do. However, in the recounting of tales weeks, even years after the event, it shows that something is still unresolved in them. Like the reading we heard earlier, we can become cut off from the full range of our feelings and in doing so, devalue what our emotions are trying to tell us. Linda Altrich's um, reflection says, I'd shared stories about my experiences and week after week my therapist would ask me, and how did that make you feel? I'd proceed to tell her how I'd come to understand the motivations of the people involved and make some sense of what had happened. And at some point, once again, she'd ask me, but how did that make you feel? I stopped short. I realised I had no idea. It was as though the entire emotional soundtrack of my life was blank. Cutting ourselves off from emotions we find difficult moves us away from our own sense of wholeness. When we don't acknowledge our own truth about how we left feeling from what happened, we can miss something very beneficial to us.
grudges can indicate people and situations we would do well to protect ourselves from. So holding a grudge can be self-protective. This is one of the useful things Sophie Hanna writes about in her book. And in an interview, she, she gave this example. I know a person who's perfectly lovely, and I've always had a lovely time enjo um, enjoying evenings with him. But if ever anyone does something bad to me, he always sides with the person who's injured or wronged me. So my grudges tell me that if I don't need support, which is most of the time, it's safe to hang out with him. But he's not the person to go to if a lorry driver deliberately ran me over. He'd say, well, the lorry driver might have been having a bad day. And anyway, you're not perfect. Remember the time in 1983 when you did such and such? That wasn't very nice. So this way, she can make a choice which can protect her from possible future harm when choosing to spend time with her friend or not. In John O'Donoghue's poem, which we heard, we heard not only about the hurt felt, but also about the transformation of that hurt into something else. Towards the end, the poem read, now a new kindness seems to have entered me, entered time, and I can see how that hurt has schooled my heart. In compassion, I would otherwise have never learned. Somehow now, I have begun to glimpse the unexpected fruit your dark gift had planted, and I thank you for your unknown work. This transformation of hurt doesn't happen all by itself, and time doesn't heal all, all wounds. But grudges can point to work we need to do in ourselves. So what might this inner work look like? How can we make the grudges we feel serve us? I came across a few ideas whilst looking into this topic, and here are a few, or three, that I'll share with you now. The first idea is to send a no-send letter, a letter which we don't intend to send, but which focuses on how the grudge-creating incident impacted on you. It might take a few drafts, with the first few full of lots of blame of the other, and even a few expletives. And that's okay. But if you keep going and each time aim to focus on how you felt about the incident and how it's still impacting on you, then you'll get to start addressing and healing what you can work through. The second idea is to use your grudge energy as fuel to motivate you. For example, if someone's belittled your wish to achieve a goal, anything from running a marathon, to healthy eating, to reading a collection of books or learning an instrument, use the anger to motivate you. 
to help you get on with your marathon training when you'd rather hit the snooze button and have 10 more minutes in bed, or to walk to the salad aisle when longingly looking at those packets of donuts, or to read another chapter of your chosen book, or practice the notes on your chosen instrument. This way, you'll be doing something useful with that energy instead of stewing in it. And the third idea involves choosing to speak with the person involved about it, describing what was said or the actions which they did and how it affected you or still affects you to this day and requesting that they don't do that thing again. This third idea can also work well with institutions by writing a letter stating clearly what happened and what you'd like done differently or changed. Out of the three ideas given here, the third one is where we might feel most vulnerable and is only wise to do if we feel it's safe enough to do so. In that last hymn, we sang, When I am angry, will you still embrace me? When I am troubled, will you listen to me? If the other party will mock our feelings, telling us that we're too sensitive or belittle our experience in other ways, it may be better to do as Sophie Hannah did in her example and choose to only interact with that individual or organisation in ways which avoid the possibility of future harm. And after you've done your own inner work, well, you might decide to go on and forgive that person involved. But this can only be empowering when done in your time frame and if it's truly the right thing for you to do. So next time you have a grudge, don't be quick to dismiss it. Explore the idea of how it might be serving you. And maybe through this, you'll find a gift which has grown within it. So may it be. Amen. As we prepare ourselves to face back towards the ordinary rhythms of our day-to-day -day lives, let us take with us these words by Betts Wyneck. She says, May we leave this place seeking an uncharted, uncharted and freely chosen way to wholeness and a way to live in harmony and peace, knowing we have companions along the way. May you go in peace and blessed be. Amen.